Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill on the northwest side of Chicago. Although the Cubs season is over, you could still go over there for some great deals during the bear season and into the spring where the Cubs will get started again. This episode is going to be a little recap of the last 162, and to do it, we brought in the guy who pretty much wrote a story about each and every 162, Tony Andraki. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me again. So, like we said, you were there through the ups and downs of this season. Just describe how this season was for you. Uh, uh, long. I mean, I think that's, you know, long and inconsistent, really. Um, I mean, it was so much of a roller coaster. Like, you know, it's a, I was talking with a couple of the other writers as uh, I think it was pretty as the Cubs were done and out of this. And we were like looking back. And I mean, remember this year started in February or even a little before that. I mean, the whole money issue and the Ricketts thing, they don't have any money left. And, you know, they said that uh, in spring training as well. And then Addison Russell was this huge storyline and then a huge press conference. And so it was just like, there was so much of this stuff and the whole like Ricketts emails thing. There was just like a lot going on before spring training even got underway. And then, you know, once players started to show up, all of a sudden Ben Zobris wasn't there. So that was curious. So it, it was just, you know, if you think about all that, that feels like it was like two years ago, but it really was the start of this season. So I, I just can't believe, you know, everything that they've gone through and some of those things, you know, the money-wise, this Obers thing, the Russell thing that carried into this season. So it was just really crazy the, the whole year. And to be honest, I know a lot of the players and I would say a lot of the fans are surprised by the way this season ended, the Cubs missing the playoffs and everything, but... It was obvious at the end of last year that this team was missing some things if they did want to go further in the postseason. And they watched teams in their division like the Cardinals and the Brewers go and get a catcher like Yasmani Grandal. And the Cardinals got Paul Goldschmidt and Andrew Miller and all these other teams in their division. Even the Reds went out and made moves. And the Cubs didn't, whether it be money, the budget, or, or anything else, the Cubs did not really get any of those moves until... June when they got Kimbrell and he was up and down all year long and then August they got Castellanos and thank God they did who knows where this team would have gone yeah right I mean uh, yeah they would have been completely screwed without Castellanos I would have been out of the playoffs probably before that Cardinal series even hit to be honest or you know close to it so I, I it's amazing it's the second straight year that I think about that I mean Daniel Murphy last year and Castellanos this year Everybody's like, you know, whoa, what a great impact these guys are having on the Cubs offense. And yet the offense was still really inconsistent down the stretch and a major focal point. So it's like, you know, you bring in these guys that, you know, Castellanos had a, a one plus OPS in, a, in two months in a Cubs uniform. Murphy was pretty solid, too, and kind of locked down the leadoff spot. And it's like the, the offense still struggles. So what what's going on? Like, what? how do they fix this offense? And meanwhile, you look at, the Brewers who lose their best player and the MVP of the league and they won whatever it was, fifteen and two or fifteen and four after losing him. So it's just it is weird. It's it's been just kind of a weird year. 
And another thing that happened over the winter last year, the Cubs declined to give Joe Madden an extension and kind of made this last year a lame duck year, but it also seemed almost strategically that if the Cubs were not to get where they wanted to be, and obviously this year they didn't, the easy scapegoat, the easy move to fix it is to let Joe go, and that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's no way around it. Like you said, they are letting him go. It's kind of a scapegoat. Uh, you know, it really is essentially like a firing, even though his contract was up. I mean, honestly, who would have ever really thought that three years or less than three years after they won the World Series, the guy that took him there would be out of a job? And, you know, they made it to, and it's not like they missed the playoffs all three of those years. You know, they made it to the CS right after. They won 95 games and then was ousted from the, the wild card game. Um, you know, but they still had in 2018, they had the best record in the National League through 162 games. And then, yeah, this year, I mean, they they only played four meaningless games total this season. And those are the only four meaningless games they played in the entire five years of Madden. So it's certainly not fair to Madden. I, nobody would have predicted this a couple of years ago, but it was very predictable the way the season's gone and just with everything that, like you said, Epstein set up last winter by saying this, you know, we're not renegotiating Madden's contract until next season. It just seemed kind of clear that writing was on the wall. Yeah, you're definitely right there. And, and whether you think that this current Cubs team needs to have more accountability for some mistakes, a harder voice talking to them rather than the, the even keel Joe Madden, Regardless, Joe's gone, and there's going to be someone new coming in. And I know you said it on the Cubs Talk podcast. You think the best bet for that is David Ross. But if you were Theo and company, who would be your pick? Uh, you know, it would probably be David Ross. Uh, I mean, at this point, it's like they're not trying to go anti-Joe, but they definitely want some change, so why not? Why not give it a shot with Ross? And, you know, I mean, he's a guy that should be aligned pretty well with what Theo and the front office want, considering Ross has been a part of the front office for three years. He's obviously a very good face of the franchise, and, you know, front-facing guy to be meeting with the media a couple years, or a couple times a day throughout the year. You know, he's being a part of ESPN and even what he was as a player and you know he is a very he's a media darling so that would be nice the fans love him so it could be a very popular uh pick there and then honestly just the way these players talk about him I mean I, I think back to Javi Baez when he talked about you know hitting his 100th home run earlier this season he mentioned something he brought up Ross unprompted and mentioned something that Ross told him about how to just you know like uh, deal with the highs and lows of the game and, you know, going day in and day out. And so it's like three years after Javi played with Ross, he's still referencing him. And that's true throughout. I mean, you know, John Lester's connection with them, obviously Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryan and stuff. And, you know, the guys like Schwarber and so on love Ross. So uh, I think it's, I think it is Ross for so many different reasons, like we said. It, it just makes sense, and you don't really know what he can be as a manager, but I think it's about time to, to find out, assuming he does actually want to do it. Yeah, I agree with you, and you mentioned Javi, and I'll take a look at the other three that are quote-unquote part of the core four of this Cubs team. Chris Bryant said that when he was with the Cubs, it felt like Ross almost was a coach, even though he was still a player. 
Rizzo said, aside from Joe Madden, David Ross has had the most impact on his professional career. And then Wilson Contreras would not be the catcher he is today without David Ross. So getting the support of not only the front office, one of your starting pitchers and the core four players of your team, I think he has to be the pick. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the Joe Girardi, everything we've heard about him as a manager, I've never actually covered him as a manager, so I can't speak to it. But it seems like maybe, you know, it's a little bit too rigid and stuff for what the Cubs may want. I mean, it sounds like they do want rigid, uh, rigidity and, and stuff in terms of work and teamwork and all those kind of things. I don't know if, if Girardi's the guy. I don't know if he checks all the boxes that they want. Um, so, yeah, you would think that, you know, it just seems natural. At some point, David Ross is going to be a manager in the big leagues. It would make the most sense for him to start his career with the Cubs in that regard. And honestly, the timing of it right now would make the most sense for him to begin the career right now as well. So, Yeah, I agree with you there, and I'll add two more points on Ross. First of all, across the major leagues, you've seen a lot of these front offices that have turned to hiring younger guys to take over. You know, Aaron Boone and Alex Cora come to mind in the, in the American League with the Red Sox and the Yankees, and they have won... The Yankees have won 100 games two years in a row, and the Red Sox have a World Series to show for it. So that could be part of the thinking there. And then also with David Ross, the fact that he was a catcher and you know knows how to manage the game comes across very attractive. And, and like you said, I, you don't know. They want rigid, but you don't know if they want as rigid as Joe Girardi. I think Ross is a good middle between Joe and Joe Girardi there where he could be the guy who needs accountability from their players, but also have a little bit of leeway that Madden provided for the last five years, where many of these players have only known that type of leeway from Madden. So I think it's a good fit. Yeah, it it really might be. I mean, the thing is, we don't, we kind of know what Joe Girardi is as a manager. We definitely know what Joe Madden was as a manager, but we don't really know what David Ross is as a manager or who he is. So, we know what he was like as a player, as the Grandpa Rossi role. We know essentially what he's been like as a front office member because he was an integral part of getting Craig Kimbrell here and pitching him. Uh, but, yeah, we don't know what he would be specifically as a coach or as a manager. So we'll see. We'll see what that's, what's that, what that is going to hold, assuming it is him that, that's going to be takeover as manager. And with Joe Madden on his way out, arguably the best manager to cover for the media, I want to ask you, what's your favorite Joe story from your time covering Joe and the Cubs? <laughs> uh, I think my favorite was when he dressed up with like a bat and he had uh, the catcher's mask on. But kind of fighting over the, the chance or opportunity to question him. Uh, so I like, came into the media workroom um, or press conference room or whatever with that. I think that was really one of the funniest moments because there was just something that stood out. I mean, he had heard about it. He just like it, it was just you know classic Joe, a great sense of humor. Loved to like just you know have a point or, or uh, have some fun with it, and you know understood that like hey, I meet with you guys twice a day for 162 games, but also like in spring training multiple times too. You know, essentially every day. So it's like. We talked to this guy like, you know, 220 or so times a, a year. So it, it really is just kind of crazy that he would have that kind of sense of humor with everything, with that he would not get annoyed or frustrated with 
the media in that regard. And I think that's some, that one instance kind of summed it up. And I know a lot of teams, I don't know if the Cubs were one of the teams that did this, but um, teams like to give awards most valuable player, most valuable pitcher, and the media nice guy. So I was going to ask you your pick for those three categories from the Cubs from 2019. Uh, so media nice guy, I'd probably say Nicholas because everybody, once he got that, it, like, you know, it wasn't, I guess, crazy, not like a bad way at all, but just like the, the funny quotes that he had and the weird interesting nature about him and uh you know every day's opening day and these kind of big picture philosophical thoughts and so i think you know there's that and then i think anthony rizzo deserves a ton of credit as well because you know this is a guy that was unavailable in 2016 for a couple games in a row remember the cubs went through that stretch and and i'll CS where they, they went like two games in a row or two and a half games without scoring a run and Rizzo was nowhere to be found after those games. I remember that. There was hardly anybody to like answer for that in terms of the offense and then now Rizzo has, has grown and matured and everything into this role where after every single one of those tough four game, you know, four, four game Cardinal series at that last weekend at Wrigley they were all just brutal losses. I mean we know they were all by one run he was there after every single one of them to answer about his ankle, about the team's struggles, about uh, Craig Kimbrell, about whatever it was. The fact that they were missing out on the playoffs, most likely, it was just. I, I give him a ton of credit for doing that. He was, you know, the only guy that was there to answer for all four games. Uh, there were some other guys, pitchers and stuff, but you know, you give him credit for that. Um, and then what were the other two team MVP and most valuable pitcher? Yes. Um, team MVP, I'd probably say Kyle Schwarber because he was, he's really the only guy from start to finish who was there and healthy because Castellanos didn't get here till August 1. And, uh, uh, Rizzo obviously had the back issue and then the ankle issue. Chris Bryant had the knee issue and then rolled his ankle. And Javi Baez missed the entire last month. So, you know, I think in so many regards, Kyle Schwarber was like the one anchor of the lineup from, day one through day 162 and he really came into his own the second half he was more valuable believe it or not than Castellanos as a hitter and he approached 40 homers approached 100 RBI I he just he took so many good strides towards being an overall hitter instead of just a slugger he you know starts hitting for a higher average I think he finished 249 or 248 or something and uh, he still was taking walks, and then he cut down strikeouts, and he was finding ways to drive in runs that weren't coming on homers, whether it be a sack fly or a double or so on. Uh, so you have to feel really, really positive about Schwarber. He's the one guy on that team that took a major stride this year. And then most valuable pitcher is Ubersh, because we've seen it before, but you saw, I mean, the way he was, he was almost Jake Arrieta-like in the second half in the last couple of months of the season. And for the fact that the Cubs are paying this guy, you know, $21, 22000000 million a season over the next four years even after this, and given the way the first year and a half went for him in Chicago, that was just so encouraging to see from, you know, just the, the pure stuff perspective. But the fact that he limited walks and he just, you know, he had that, that competitive spirit and fire that you wanted to see from him 
for the first year and a half and it wasn't really giving and now he showed it so you know there's so many reasons to to feel encouraged and positive about that as well and as a, a media member writer reporter however you want to say it you guys are involved in in telling us the stories that surround this cubs team so for you what was your favorite story of 2019 Huh, that's a good question. Um, in some ways, it kind of was Zobrist in the way that he returned. Uh, I mean, that was, it was favorite in the sense of like, it was so fascinating. I mean, it was, we, we know a little bit of what was going on in his personal life, but we don't know a ton, and that's totally understandable. That's his business, and we should respect that. But it's just not every day that, you know, a veteran player leaves a team for four, for four months or almost four months, then returns and essentially is as good as he was, like he missed no time. So I think that was wild. And then when Rizzo returned after the ankle injury, I mean, that was that was such a cool moment. I know the Cubs lost that game and they lost, ended up losing that whole series, but you thought Rizzo was potentially done for the year. And I, I said several times, like, you know, on our shows and podcasts and stuff, I felt like he and Javi Baez would somehow find a way to make it back. Before the regular season ended, I really was not expecting like three days after spraining his ankle that bad. So I just remember sitting in the press box and and I hear the crowd cheering a bit and I was transcribing. So I popped my headphones out of my ears and I, I look and I'm like, uh, that looks like Rizzo running in shallow left field. And I, I heard fans cheering more. And then you look up on the video board in left field and sure enough, the cameras were focused. It was Rizzo. He was running and jogging in a full uniform, in cleats, jumping around, and he was just like, "Wait, is this guy gonna play?" Yeah, so it was it was really just nuts that Rizzo was out there three days after he got hurt and made this heroic comeback. And you know, sure enough, we did find out twenty minutes before the the first pitch that he was going to be in the lineup and hitting leadoff, and then he gets a homer in that game. So it really it was wild the fact that he was able to do all of that and make that return it was definitely one of the cooler moments this season yeah I would agree I would probably put that that moment the Rizzo moment at the top of my list as well and I want to dissect something that Theo said in the presser I believe it was yesterday or the day before about how how many individual players on the Cubs team had great individual seasons you know Bryant Rizzo, Baez were all on pace for, you know, career years had they not gotten hurt. Schwarber made a huge stride forward, and Contreras was pretty consistent when he did play. Hayward had his best year as a Cub, and after coming back from the minor leagues, Ian Happ looked great. So it, it's just puzzling how all those players had some of their best years in their career, and it just didn't equate to wins in the in the standings. Yeah. I, you know, there's so for NBC Sports Chicago, there's really probably about 16 players you can point to that had very good individual seasons or can at least go into the offseason feeling pretty proud of that. And if you throw in even Nico Horner as well, who only spent two weeks in the big leagues, then yeah, you definitely would feel pretty good about it. It's like 17 guys. So it's amazing that, you know, all of that, that Bryant and Darvish and Contreras had resurgent seasons, and Javi was really good when he played, and so was Rizzo. Schwarber and Caratini broke out, and you know all these different things. Rowan Wick and Kyle Ryan and Brad Wick kind of broke out and emerged, and just different aspects across the board. And yet, it still didn't work out somehow. It's crazy. I mean, if you 
if you had told me that all of these things that I just said, and then the Cubs would sign Craig Kimbrell, and that Brandon Kinsler would be their best reliever from you know from uh, day one through game one sixty two, and just all these different things, I would have been like, oh yeah, definitely this team is gonna you know win the division and potentially even make like a World Series run, and yet they didn't. They didn't even make the playoffs or the second wild card. They finished five games short. It, it's nuts in that sense, and and you just kind of wonder like what happened. And they don't have they don't have any specific explanation. So uh, they just I don't know. It's like it works out that way sometimes, and and I think it just boils down to sequencing. Like they were able to get production, but not always at the right time as that, you know, nine-game losing streak or really the last six of the homestand proved. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because they really don't know why and even the general manager doesn't know why. But Theo Epstein has made it clear that, you know, change is coming. They started with getting rid of their manager for the past five years. So let me ask you, what do you think is the biggest offseason need for this club? Uh, Great question. I mean, I think... It's either, well, obviously manager ranks really high up there. I know we talked about it already, but in terms of the production on the field, I mean, there are so many schools of thought. Like, they definitely need another starter, and, you know, maybe they'd be fine getting by with Chatwood or Alec Mills, but those are probably more depth guys that you'd want, and you you know, add, like, Derek Cole or something if you could. You definitely need another high-level reliever, whether that's bringing back a guy like Kinsler, Ciszek, or Strobe, or going out and getting somebody else. Uh, you know, I think that would be good. But really, for me, I think it just boils down to either getting a, a leadoff hitter, a true leadoff hitter, or just getting another bat. And that could be re-signing Castellanos. Uh, you know, I, I imagine if you have a healthy season again from Bryant, Rizzo, Javi, and in Contreras, if none of those guys are traded, and then you still have Schwarber and you know guys like Horner and Hayward, there's no way that offense is going to struggle again next year. They'll be able to figure out the sequencing and stuff of it. So uh, that would be really the big point. But you know, if like I said, you do bring back Castiano, I think it's like you have to make Rizzo your leadoff hitter in that case. So I don't know exactly how this would all play out, but something I'll definitely be keeping an eye on is being a spot and whether that's Rizzo's like full time from here on out. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting point about them re-signing Castellanos and should they re-sign him and bring him into next season, the Cubs will look like a totally different team than when he ever played because if you think of like those hitters that you mentioned, we could rank them in order, like say it's a lineup, Rizzo, Castellanos, Bryant, Baez, Schwarber, Contreras, Hayward, those seven guys never played in the same game together. They never did just because of injuries. It was like Castellanos arrived while Contreras was hurt. By the time Contreras came back, Javi was dinged up. Then it was Rizzo. Then it was Contreras again, then Rizzo, and then Bryant at the end. So none of them actually all played together. If you get all those guys healthy and playing together – that looks like a very good lineup. Yeah, it does. I didn't. I guess now that you break it down, yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about how all of those got together. So that is crazy to think about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't. You know, when you 
you talk about all the things that went right. I mean, Hayward having his best offensive season as a Cub, and, and they still struggled. So it's it's crazy to think about all of that. It really is. And, and I don't think the same thing will happen again next year, but the Cubs also have a lot of say about that. I mean, for whatever reason, this core, all those guys except for Castellanos that you brought up, were unable to get the job done two years in a row when it mattered most. They had, you know, two Septembers that, that were subpar, even if September 2018, it's not like they collapsed, but they certainly could have been better and think they should have been better. So, uh, it's, it's weird. I don't know why these guys that have so much talent and, and do put up good numbers aren't able to combine that, but it's certainly something they're going to have to figure out for next year. Yeah, I agree with you there. And, and you know, Theo also mentioned that no player is untouchable. They're open to trades. Who do you think is the most likely player to get traded? My personal thought is that it's either um, probably Ian Happ would be my most likely just because he had a good end of the year and the Cubs have been pretty stubborn to move Schwarber in the past. So I'd probably say Happ's most likely. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it could be Happ. I mean, he makes a lot of sense for a lot of different teams, but I feel like he just he also makes so much sense for this Cubs team because he can play all three outfield spots. He can play every infield spot, although you probably wouldn't want to use him at shortstop. And then, you know, as a switch hit, does seem like he found something, as you mentioned, at the end of the season. He, he finished with, I know it's a much smaller sample size, but he finished with better offensive value numbers pretty much across the board yeah, Happ was pretty much better than than Paul Goldschmidt this year, the number three hitter for the Cardinals. When you look at like weighted runs created plus and OPS and so on, and it was a small sample size, but it's definitely a nice note for him to go out on. And he he certainly cut down strikeouts quite a bit too. So Happ should have a decent amount of value in the trade market, but he also would have a decent amount of value to the Cubs. So it'll be interesting to see what they there. For me, I I think. Maybe Wilson Contreras makes a ton of sense to get rid of because you already have an actual in-house replacement in Victor Caratini who works great with the pitching staff. I don't He doesn't have the same arm as Contreras, but he's a better pitch framer and potentially a, a better, you know, I don't know for sure, but in terms of uh, calling a game and working with the pitching staff and so on. And then he's a switch hitter. So, you know, you'd lose something offensively for sure. But he makes more contact than Contreras, and, and as a switch hitter, you know, he's, he's an option. So if you maybe bring back a guy like Lou Croy or figure something else out and you get another veteran in there, I think you can pretty much uh, almost duplicate the production you get from and slot Caratini in to catch you know, 100 to 110 games a year. So that would be my guess because I think you can get – an absolutely huge haul for a guy like Contreras. And it's, it, again, the Cubs wouldn't miss his bat, but I think you can make up for it in other areas with a guy like Caratini. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think um, obviously it'd be hard to part with the National League starting catcher in the All-Star game in Wilson Contreras. But like you said, Caratini does present an in-house solution. They've got Miguel Amaya, highly touted prospect on his way. So maybe it would be the right time to part with Contreras um, in that regard. And, you know, like Theo said, there's got to be a focus on winning now but not abandoning the future. They have to look towards the future too. And part of that would include trying to extend some of these stars, whether it be 
you know, Rizzo, which might come a little cheaper, or the, the super expensive ones is Bryant and Baez. What do you think the Cubs' plan for that is, and do you think um, that could lead to them trading one of those guys? So you're saying the plan for Bryant and Baez, like extending them? Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I, at this rate, I don't know how they re-signed Chris Bryant. It, it'll just be really tough because it's not his fault, and I don't think it's a knock on his character, but the injuries are starting to add up. So I don't know how you give a guy like that as many years or as much dollars as you would want. So that's difficult. And then, you know, you look at Baez, the way he plays and the style of play, he could potentially start becoming injury-prone as well. So definite concerns in those two areas. Um, and then, I, you know, it's really the, the Boris factor is going to be huge when you talk about Chris Bryant. So um, I don't I don't know if they're going to be able to re-sign both of them because Rizzo will want his new contract as well. And Schwarber's up at that time and you know, so on. So it'll be a very, very interesting next couple of years as, as they try to figure that out. But my gut says that the Cubs have years left if Chris Bryant and Javi and Rizzo will both be here for, you know, at least in like their mid-30s. So if, if you were a general manager and you knew you couldn't extend Chris Bryant, would you ride him out for the next two years and, and keep the, the Cubs' window intact, or would you try to get some return for him maybe this offseason? Yeah, you definitely try to get some return from this offseason. At least shop him and see what's out there on the trade market. If, you know, a, a team like the Indians, and I'm just kind of pulling that out of my hat here, a team like the Indians is willing to trade some of their nice young pitchers that they have that are cost-controlled and, and clearly have proven that they can get guys out at the big league level, and you can do that and maybe get a couple prospects, then, yeah, why not, you know, trade for that? This is almost a... A, you can make a case that this is like a rebuild on the fly type of offseason for the Cubs. At the same time, they have a quality enough roster already going into next year, and they just supplement it with other stuff to compete for the World Series. I mean, regardless of new manager or not, that should still be the hope next year, and the expectation with this team is is that they contend for a division title and try to make a World Series run. If you do that, I don't know how to trade Chris Bryant, who might be your overall best player, and expect that you're still going to keep those same that same expectations up. So it's it's a really difficult point that the Cubs are at. They're at a crossroads with this. For me personally, if I was GM, I would just see what's out there, and if nothing blows me away, I would keep Bryant and try to ride this out and try to win a World Series in one of these next two seasons. Yeah, I agree with you there, and, and like you mentioned, kind of, it's not really our decision. It's up to Theo and Jed and the rest of the front office. That's why we're here and we get to speculate. So I'll leave you, Tony, with one last question. Give me your World Series prediction and the winner. Uh, I really think that the, the Atlanta Braves can put it all together. I think Ronald Acuna's health is going to be a huge part, but I love this this young Braves team, and I think to the Josh Donaldson one-year deal that he made a bet on himself and the Braves made a bet on him. And just think how cool it would be if that kind of play is out where he does win the World Series. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I look at a team like the Nationals, they're definitely going to be you know hot after that and a wild-card win and so on. They have so many good pieces. And when you have in a three or, or sorry, in a five or seven-game series, you have the big three of Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. That's pretty nice, too. So I like those two teams. And the Dodgers, I, I just think 
they have more weaknesses than people think or, or believe, especially in these short series. I mean, they were they have so much depth. They were built for 162 so well. But when it comes down to it, do they have enough pitching in, in their bullpen that has some question marks that they did not address at the trade deadline? Is that going to be able to hold up? So those scare me. But I like either the Braves or Nationals out of the NL. And for me, I mean, it just comes down to either the Astros or the Yankees in the AL. And uh, I think the Yankees will, will stick with it. I like their combination of power and bullpen. And, you know, it seems like maybe they're kind of getting healthy at the, just the right time with guys like Sanchez and Severino coming back. So I'll go uh, Yankees, Braves, World Series, Braves winning. Um, I this You're actually the first person that I've seen that has the same World Series prediction as me. I actually have the Yankees against the Braves and the Yankees winning. But you bring up a good point with the Nationals. I think they could definitely run the tables, and, and if there's a team that matches up with the Astros good enough, it's the Nationals. So that'll be interesting to look out for as well. Yeah, they, they do. And the way that, I mean, you, you want to see Strasburg and Scherzer going up against all those right-handed hitters that the Yankees have, that would be fun too. And, and obviously, as you mentioned, the Astros have so many right-handed hitters with you know Springer and Correa and Altuve and stuff too. So it, it would definitely be really fun. I mean, I'm actually, you know, I, I love covering playoff baseball. So in a sense, I'm bummed that I'm not going to be doing it. But I'm also really excited as a baseball fan for what this fall should bring because I think it's very exciting. I mean, I could see, you know, Cubs fans don't want to hear it, but I could see the Cardinals just staying hot and continuing on and, and making it to the World Series as well. It, it's just going to be an awesome fall, I think, for playoff baseball. Yeah, it'll certainly be fun to watch. Let's just hope that the 2020 postseason sees our Chicago Cubs. Yeah, we'll see. And that's all we have today for the Cubs Corner Podcast. Thank you to Tony Andracchi for joining us. We say so long. My name's Anthony Pasquale, and thank you for coming to the Cubs Corner.